Hey, good morning. Good to worship with you all. And um, it is this time of the year for in the church world is kind of the big momentum time. Everyone is um, kind of back at church, school started, and um, August is kind of the desolate time that uh, we all joke about amongst pastors that it is so uh, difficult with just vacations in school, being out, and so on and so forth. But it's good to just worship together and have everyone here. And today we want to just talk about our vision for the upcoming year, uh, what we want to accomplish. And, um, you know, uh, there's a quote that I came across by Thomas Carlyle who said that uh, a man with, uh, without a goal is like a ship without a rudder. You know, sometimes we're like that. We're busy. We work hard. We try things. Um, we're always tired. It's because we don't have a goal. And so we want to really ask ourselves, what do we want to get accomplished this year at our church? And what do we want us to do individually and corporately as a whole? And some of you have been here all nine years, four years of Irvine. Some of you, um, God has brought you here in this past summer. And uh, we're just so grateful for every single one of us. And we want to really understand, what do we want to do this upcoming year? This upcoming kind of church year that's coming up for us. You know, yesterday I had the... Uh, privilege of officiating a funeral service for one of our church members at Brea. His uh, mother had passed away. And, um, you know, when you um, officiate a funeral, you learn so much. You know, as uh, uh, Solomon had said, you know, it's better to go into a house of mourning than a house of rejoicing. You know, you learn, you sober up. And um, I spoke at her funeral. Um, she, was, uh, she was born in Hawaii, had lived there whole, most of her life, and just came out here to move in with her son in La Habra just to spend some time with him before she had passed away. And she passed away a lot earlier than they had expected. And it was a very colorful uh, group, a lot of senior citizens, a lot of Hawaiian shirts. And, um, you know, and I had to, the privilege of sharing there and, you know, I shared about her, heard about her life and, and those things. And, you know, you look at a, um, I was looking at her birth date. And she happened to be just about 30 years older than me, um, just a few months off. You can't help but every time you do go to a uh, memorial service like that, you, you can't help but think, boy, if God gives me 30 years, if God gives me 30 years, what is that going to look like? And man, hasn't the last 10 years for you just gone by so fast? It's flying by, you know, and you still feel like, boy, and you feel it when you go to, like, the basketball night, and you, you thought you could, but you really can't, because uh, that's just the memory, you know? The older you get, the better you are. You're becoming that, like, Al Bundy um, that you used to watch, and you have stories, but you can't demonstrate it in person anymore of what you were able to do. But really, um, how fast it goes by, and what, what, what's it going to look like? What are the loved ones going to say about me? Did I accomplish it, or was I like a ship without a, a rudder, just busy, just tired? Um, this year, we want to focus on a few things, and really the, um, on the important things. And this is uh, what I you know, walked away from yesterday, too. Man, you, know, you really got to focus on what is important i got to try to strip away all the stuff that's not important, that just is the emergencies of life, but really on what is important. On the things that are important, I want us to say that we will not hold back. Do not hold back when it comes to doing something important. Telling a loved one that you love them, do not hold back. 
Spending time with the Lord, do not hold back. And, you know, we're going to focus here on three parts in our worship, in our love for others, and in our faith and trust in God, right? Our courage. That's what we see here in Isaiah 54. Isaiah is a... Uh, is an amazing book. It um, doesn't have the most chapters, but by word by word, it's the longest book in the Bible, longer than the Psalms. And Isaiah is written, in, and you could break it up into two parts, and most scholars could kind of break it up. Chapters 1 through 39 is uh, the punishment that the people of Israel will face for their sins, for their unfaithfulness to God. And they get taken over by other nations, and they suffer uh, God's wrath. But from chapter 40 till the end, and chapter 66 all the way till the end, it's a a vision of a future restoration. That the people who had been taken exiled um, by Babylon, well, when they come back, and when they come back, they will become their own nation, and they will become their own people, and they will now grow. And, you know, we are a fruit of that. The local church is now the spiritual Israel that has been passed down to us, and now we are part of this heritage. And now we have to ask ourselves, what was that message? In chapter 54, he gives a powerful message. And he says that those words in one of the verses that we read, do not hold back when it comes to these things. Um, he uses the uh, image of a, a barren woman in those days. A barren woman in those days. Um, it was really a difficult time for women in general during those days. But some of the hardships that women would face um, if the marriage, for example, agreement was considered completed, not at consummation or not at the ceremony, but at the birth of a child. And so in some of the nations around during those times, like one scholar puts, uh, talks about Egypt during those days, that the husband had the right to go and have other wives if that wasn't part, that wasn't fulfilled. And so can you imagine that? And so for a if you didn't have children, what that also meant um, was that heartache, but also security. They were your social security. They were your retirement. You know, they took care of the elderly. There was no other program. It was the children that would do this. And thirdly, it was the more kids you have, and it talks about in the Psalms how rich you are, and they're like olive shoots, and you have more children, because they worked for you, right? You know, for in our day and age, they just cost us money, right? So you're like, oh, my gosh, I got another one. And they want to play soccer. Oh, Lord. You know, like, and, and you know, my youngest one, um, her feet are now, like, same as her sister's, you know, and she's only 11 and so she's really excited about her foot growing. And I'm like, I wish it would stop growing because we were going through all the shoes we bought her and we were throwing it away. She's like, this doesn't fit, this doesn't fit. You know, and they were, some of them were almost brand new. And I was like, you know, you know I'm just going to buy big shoes from now on. You know, if you're, you're, hopefully, but you know, we think of it that way. Like, oh, children are going to cost us. In college, oh, it's going to cost us. But really, and back in those days, it meant income. They're going to go work the fields. They're going to go work the animals. And he speaks now to the people of God, and he calls them, oh, barren one. You're like a barren woman, in a way. Um, You know, in the Bible, the the women, there was always stories of women and miraculous births, from the Genesis all the way to the Gospels of Mary. Right? And we see it in Sarai, and we see it Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah. You know, it's it's a picture that God is the one who allows them and gives them what they have. You know, it's a picture of the impossible happening. 
Right, that we see with the birth of Christ, right, the virgin birth, is the picture of the impossible, that God is the provider, ultimately. And so we, we see this theme all throughout the scriptures, and we see it here, and he tells us about you know, this, the barren people of God, that you have no future, you have no security, you didn't have your own home, you didn't have your own land, they were still, this is a future prophecy of what is to come, that they will one day be restored. So they are still in exile, but one day you will be restored. But he talks about the future hope that they will have. And he talks about this, and he says that we need to not hold back when it comes to the important things. And those are the three things I want to highlight for us. Um, first of all is our worship or our singing, he says, right? In verse 1, sing, O barren one who did not hear. Break forth into singing, cry aloud, you who, do not have, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than children of her who is married, says the Lord. So he's talking to the people of Israel. He's talking to God, his own people, and he says, now you got to sing. There's good news. You who thought that there was no future, you who were going to live in desolation, you who were going to be rejected, are now accepted. And you know, in verse 5, says, the, the Lord is your husband now, that he fulfills this. So he says, sing. And he says, break out into song. Sing out loud. Sing. Um, this is our worship. Do not hold back when it comes to our worship. Let me encourage you, do not hold back. It is a sad thing that the only times that people would want to sing sometimes is in a dark place, you know, it's at a ball game maybe, you know, but there is something about singing. There's something about our worship that is so important. And he tells us to sing in this way. Can you imagine, you know, anytime that someone receives good news, they, they, they break out in song, you know, all throughout the scriptures, when the women who were barren receive a child, they break out into song. It's mentioned over and over, they break out into song. Song of Mary and so on. Um, and he says to the people, he says, you who had nothing, break out into song. So now, basically, we have to convince ourselves. When we come to church, I have to convince all of us, and I have to remind all of us, that we, have, we were nothing. We were the barren ones. But because of God, we have everything. Sometimes we get that so confused. We think, well, I have everything plus God. You know, I, I've got all of these things plus God. No, all of that was given to us by God. And in light of eternity, we had nothing until we have God. So we ought to now go as powerless people. We couldn't approach God. We all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Our good works were like filthy rags. We say, how can I go? What am I supposed to do? He is our husband. He is the one who takes care of us. And so now we have this uh, opportunity to sing. You know, there was a piece in the Washington Post not that long ago by a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi named Benjamin Shalva. Benjamin Shalva wrote this little piece about singing. It was really fascinating. Um, he filled in for a small congregation at a Jewish synagogue on Friday nights as they would prepare for the Sabbath. And he talks about how he would go and he would go and it didn't matter rain or shine, didn't matter what the conditions were. He said the faithful 12 people would always show up, you know, and he would go and lead the singing. And uh, in the synagogue, they would all face kind of their uh, eyes towards God, and they would all be facing one way. And he said he would get a guitar and try to lead them in singing. Um, as he was leading them in singing, so the, con the 12 people are behind them, and they're all looking at this red brick wall, and they're singing. He says he couldn't, he couldn't hear anything. So his imagination was like, oh, my gosh, they all snuck out to go get refreshments, like while I'm up here by myself. So he said he kind of peeked back. Nope, but the 12 people were still there. 
And so he was curious, so he started lowering his volume. And he started lowering his volume, he couldn't hear it. And he looked back and they're still there. And in amazement, he looked back one more time and he said, some, some of the people, their mouths were moving, but there was no sound coming out. You know, they were singing. And he says that the volume of their singing was the, the volume of someone in a crowded elevator singing along to their own iPod. I mean, it was just barely. So he said he wanted to get everyone singing. So he, he calls this new gathering on Friday night. It's a time of singing. We're going to sing together. And he says, we're going to sing some of our classic songs and we're going to sing. And from 12, they get to over 150 people in this little synagogue. And now he is facing that same brick wall and he's leading the singing. And he looks back, and no one's singing again. Everyone is lip-syncing. Except, by this time, by 150, a bunch of the people who are there are these children. And all he hears is the children, the preschoolers, yelling out, singing out. They don't know the lyrics. They're making up words, but they're singing out, and they're singing. And he says he hears this, and he, he talks about that. And this is what he says. He says, what a contrast. The adults' cool stiffness and the children's joyful noise. And if we travel far enough on the path of song, we risk triggering something truly transformational. Our own preschooler will emerge. The child in us will leap out and go wild. We do not act like children when we sing. We become children when we sing. We sing like we're fresh from the womb, new to this earth, releasing with raw, uncultivated abandon. Many of us, and this is what he says, many of us don't want to, be, don't want to go there. We feel ashamed of our wild child. Who knows what he or she might do on the path of song. Guaranteed, we will meet the child within. And this, I love what he says. We will run smack into our own shame. The shame we felt when the, first, when the world first let us know you're not worthy of love just as you are. We don't sing because we're ashamed. We don't sing because what if someone tells us or thinks of us as, oh, why are they singing so loud? And how many of us have ever snickered at someone for singing too loud? How many of us have made fun of someone? You know that one relative at the birthday you know, dinner that always sings really loud for the birthday song, like it's you know, the national anthem, you're like, oh, and I, or someone at church that jumps in at the wrong time and we, we snicker and giggle. But how we ought to sing? So do not hold back when it comes to our worship and singing. Man, I'm going to encourage you to do that. It changes us. You know, this morning I was walking around my neighborhood before anyone was awake and I was listening to some old worship songs. Walking, just me and God and Daisy, my dog, and we're walking around and, um, and a cup of coffee and I'm walking around just praying and just singing along. Before getting up, and today was kind of hazy, right, early in the morning and it was kind of chilly and I went out and I was like, I don't want to go. You know, my dog wants to go. I didn't want to go. I should go. And we go out and uh, do the walk. And I'm singing along and doing an extra lap because I'm singing. Um, by the end of it, you know, it's like, ah, I'm so glad I went. It changes us. And I don't know if I woke up any of our neighbors. It probably did. We have coyotes in our neighbor. They probably thought it was coyotes because I was singing. And, you know, but, um, uh, you know, just to be there, just to not hold back when it comes to this. Who cares what others think when it comes to, when it comes to the worship of God, that we ought to engage with everything. And the second thing that is very important is um, when we share the love of God to other people, to, to, to have a big vision that we're going to continue to grow, that the church is going to keep growing, that uh, the, the Christians are going to keep 
they're going to be converted to Christ. The people are going to come. Our children will come to know the Lord. That we're going to continue to grow. And we need to have a bigger vision. Sometimes we think of all the, some of us are very practical. Some of us are very realistic, we say. And we say, that's not going to work. This is not going to work. We need to not hold back when it comes to now sharing the love of God to someone else. Um, I love these two verses in verse 2 and 3. Um, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Your offsprings one day. Uh, he's telling that, that we are the offsprings, ultimately, of, of Abraham. That we are the offsprings. You're going to inhabit desolate cities. You are going to fill these cities. So enlarge the place of your tent. Can you imagine if a, a, a barren woman and her husband now have a tent? And they're looking at a simple two-man tent. Why would I want a large tent? And he says, no, I want you to now put those stakes in deep and enlarge and stretch the cords because we're going to fill this place. God is going to do this. I want you to dream big. And we, as, as a church, we want to continue to dream big in this way. I remember um, in 2003, I got introduced to a man named Dr. Uh, Chaco Thomas. He had just finished his doctorate, his PhD in uh, Reformation uh, church history. He graduated from Trinity Seminary in Chicago. At that time, I mean, it still is, but at that time, it was one of the uh, top evangelical Christian seminaries. And he had a PhD from there. And God had called him now to go back to his home in southern India to start a seminary from scratch. Nothing was really there. He was going to go. He just felt the burden to reach India for Christ. And I got connected to him, and here I am now. This was uh, 13, 14 years ago. I'm listening to his uh, vision, and, you know, it was so big. It was so big. And, I, and he says, well, you don't need to come and do, every, and do the missions here, because I'm going to go do it, but we need your help. You as Americans are the rich ones. You help us, and we're going to go preach. And so we got involved, and we started supporting them. It's been wonderful. Now... 2007 our church started so when I was leaving our old church to come and start Crossway I, I asked the old church do you want to continue this ministry I'm going to leave this with you and they at that time couldn't do it they said we can't take this on it's not in our program and so I, I talked to at that time you know Pastor John was there and Michael was there and we talked about it so let's let's just continue supporting them and this is when you're a church plant Right? This is when everything's in, in, in a prayer and imagination. Like everyone kept saying, what's going to look like? Who's going to be there? And I'm just imagining things like, oh, it's going to be great. You know, people are going to have a great time. Who? I don't know who, but, you know, it'll be good. And, um, yeah, and then we said, we're going we're gonna to continue to support them. This is in 2007 when everyone was saying, this is the meltdown of our economy. This is the worst time to start a church. And now you're going to take on the responsibility of supporting someone else. And I look back on that. And God had provided for us, and not just that, but in so many other things. You know, when we first started our church in Brea, and we um, were in this little theater that had 199 seats. Some of you were there. Those were the best seats, by the way. And so when we were decided to move across the street to the community center, I had some complaints, like the seats are so comfortable there. You know, it was theater-style seats, 
velvet, cushiony, and the community center at Brea is, is actually worse than this. It's, it's just hard plastic. So now um, this is an upgrade at Irvine. So, you know, like, come on, and, you know, we're moving. But even in all these little moves, it was always scary. Because all of a sudden our rent is going to quadruple. We have all these chairs, you know. We have 375 seats. What are we going to do with all these seats? Um, we're going to go two services. What is that going to look like? And then four years ago, when God called us to go, go out to Irvine, let's start with our two, two small groups that are there. Let's start another church. And you know how many times people said, oh, that's risky. Oh, that's, you know. And, and you know, the realists were all talking to me. And, and half of the comments were myself. Like, come on, Steve, really? You know, is it going to work? The statistics say church plants, you know, have the highest rate of closure, doesn't last, you know, if you can't have 100 people, no one wants to come. I mean, there's all these things. And we started out. And we started meeting, and it's been four years. And now these little guys that were here are now sitting in the youth group thinking they're so cool now, right? I mean, <laughs> we'll just keep that between us, right? Well, they, 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 they look at me like, you know, they look down at me now. These, these guys in diapers. Um, wow, what God has done and how we ought to not hold back when it comes to sharing the love of God in so many ways. And lastly is we do not hold back when it comes to um, taking a step of faith, when it comes to acting with courage. I'm not saying just be courageous about anything. I'm talking about when God has called you to do something. And you're going to go in boldness. Do not hold back. It says this. It's interesting because in verse 4, remember he, he challenges. He says, you should rejoice. I have redeemed you. I have now bought you back, oh people. And then he challenges them. He challenges us to enlarge the place of our tent. And the first message after he says that is fear not. Why? Because when we have to enlarge the place of our tent, and we're going to go reach the people, and the first thing we have is fear. Because the first thing we say is, I'm not, who am I to do this? These are the same things that uh, Jeremiah the prophet said when he was called. Who am I to do this? When Isaiah was called, I'm a man of unclean lips. Who am I to do this? And some of us, we have made mistakes and regrets, and we say, yeah, that's still there. And sometimes we're like those people that only point out the negatives in our life. Man, if only I, you know, and, and we point that out. Or sometimes we've been hurt. We've had things done to us. We've been hurt by trusted people, and that pain is still there. And if I'm going to go with courage to love someone and to share with someone, and that, if I have to expose that and talk about that, I don't want to, so we just shut it off. I want to be safe. But he says, fear not. For you will not be, and these are the words that are so important. You will not be ashamed, not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. You, for you will forget the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood, and you will uh, remember no more. He says, don't worry about the past. Don't worry about how weak you were, how powerless you were. Take courage, I'm with you. And go and do something. You know, in the Bible, Satan is called many things, but one of the things, he's the accuser. Jesus Christ is now the, the, the lawyer who is next to us, defending us. He's the accuser, the Bible says. Uh, Michael Port writes in this book, the, big, the Think Big Manifesto. And there's a quote I want to share. Sometimes we assign the role of, quote-unquote, big thinker to other people. 
right? The CEOs, the presidents, the bosses, the pastor, whoever it is, um, they're the big thinker. I just tell me what to do. He says, but we don't necessarily see ourselves in that role, he says. Often, um, that's because of, quote unquote, voices of judgment. Either negative peers and colleagues telling you why something will never work, or even more damaging, your own internalized voice telling you the same thing, that it's not going to work. And I tell you, we got to get up and do this. If you have the opportunity to love someone, to share with someone, to be generous towards someone, we have to do this. You have an opportunity to serve. You know, you have an opportunity, hey, we're going to take a Bible study, men's and women's, you ought to sign up for this. You have an opportunity to join a community group, you say, I don't know these people. Take courage and try it. Go and see what will happen. You know, this Olympics, there was many stories that came out of there. And one of the stories was a a man who was the favorite for the 10,000 meter, Mo Farah. He was the favorite. He won the gold in the 5,000 and the 10,000 at the uh, London Olympics in 2012. So all the focus was on him. And some of you might have seen this. And I remember watching it live. And he was in the middle of the pack. 10,000, it's going to be a long race. And about the second lap in, he trips over his training partner's foot. And he trips and he falls. And now it's, is it over? You know, what's going to happen? His rhythm, his strength, every step, everything is pre-planned. And he wasn't supposed to fall. Is he injured? And he jumps back up and, you know, he eventually wins the gold after a fall, which was just amazing. And he was interviewed after. And Mo Farah said this. He says, uh, when I fell down, I was thinking, try to get up, try to get up. Don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic. And then I got up and I tried just to get through. And he added, I thought, it's okay. It's okay. I still have quite a long way to go. And maybe for us this year, that, that's really the motto, right? Try to get up. Try to get up. It's okay. It's okay. I still have a long way to go. God is with me. I still have a long way to go. God is going to use me. I might have messed up a little bit. I might have said things I shouldn't have. It's okay. I'm going to go and redeem this. I'm going to go and live this for God. Doesn't matter what people think. Doesn't matter what they say. The Lord is our husband. And he owns everything. And I close with this verse. 2 Timothy 1.7. Right? I don't know if we have that up here. Thank you, Thank you so much. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes a letter to Timothy, his apprentice, pastor. He's a great young man, but the one flaw he had was he was timid. Right? You know, and we could, now you remember that, right? Timid, Timothy, right? Or whatever it is. But uh, um, he was timid. He was young. He was inexperienced. And uh, he tells him, and this is what he tells, Paul tells him, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I want that to be the theme, man. When it comes to now living victoriously for God, when it comes to loving someone in a, in a big way, when it comes to my worship to God that I would not hold back and I would remember these words where God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. And if some of you are contemplating getting like a tattoo, this is a good verse, okay? Don't, don't. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ is out of context. Don't put that on there, okay? That's a prisoner saying he's dealing with the consequences of of the hardships there. Don't put that, but this is a good verse, right? Um, And I want us to live this out this year, that God has placed in me the living spirit of God, and he does not give me a spirit of timidity, of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And so it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a better year, and our church is going to have a wonderful year, 
Not because we're so great, but because the one who has taken us in. The maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. Can't ask for anything more than that. Let's pray together. So God, we um, offer this year to you at our church, and we want you to use your church to bring glory to you. God, we want to sing aloud every time we think about what you have given to us. And God, we want to, Lord, expand the tents here. Lord, we don't even have our own building, but God, we want to fill this place with your people. We want to go overseas and we want to pray for the nations every week. God, we want to see your work being done. And God, we are given a spirit of power, so we will not fear this year. We will do what is right and we will do it boldly without any shame because of what you have given to us. So God, um, help us to live that out. Bless your church so that we can be a blessing to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of um, offering.